My name is Will Verhoof. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to lead you into God's Word this morning. So let's pray for that. Thank you, God, for the work that we together have been doing, led by Christian Reformed World Missions in so many ways over these 125 years. Thank you for the impact that's being felt in 50 countries and more around the world. We pray for those who are our missionaries, those who have been sent, those who are church planters, those who are training others to be faithful and competent leaders in their nations in growing the church. We thank you for your word that comes even to us, the challenges that come to us in our community in terms of faithfully expanding your kingdom and in growing your church. Bless us as we just uh, look into the scriptures this morning. Enable us to, uh, to hear you speak to us um, and, and allow your word to transform us, both individually and as a community. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue the journey that we're on. Um, today, we are going to be looking at the journey with God in our weaknesses. Uh, next Sunday, Pastor Scott will kind of conclude this part of the journey series and we'll switch gears starting the first Sunday in June. But this morning, I want to direct your attention to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. John 21 tells a story of Jesus um, meeting his disciples for breakfast on the beach near the Sea of Galilee. He had risen from the grave. He had not yet ascended to heaven. Um, Pentecost had not yet happened. But Jesus and, and seven of his disciples just gather together because Jesus has some important work to do. Uh, and so he prepares breakfast for these fishermen who've been fishing. And then when they finish breakfast, this is what happens. 21 verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you, uh, and the word truly is in my version of the NIV, New International Version. It may not be in yours. There are slight differences here. But I read, do you truly love me more than these? Getting at a word for love there with the word truly love. Yes, Jesus, he said, you know that I love you, Jesus said feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Pentecost is awesome. Sometimes we don't think of it at the level of Christmas and Easter, but it's one of those major moments in the salvation history of God's people. Pentecost is equal to Christmas. 
It's equal to Good Friday. It's equal to the ascension, uh, to, to the Easter, uh, to the ascension, uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's equal to the ascension of Jesus that we remembered 10 days ago. God was in some ways powerfully working. He came in the flesh. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He grew up. He eventually died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven to a position of power and authority. And then, as he spoke the Great Commission, he equipped these people that were in the upper room with the mighty wind and the flames of fire and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that the Great Commission could be fulfilled by them and continuing into history even through us and those we send out to the ends of the earth. Pentecost is awesome. But think about some of the people that he used to accomplish his mission, his purposes. Peter was one of those. You want to look at Peter for a moment here. The problem with Peter is that Peter was a huge disappointment to Jesus. He'd been so bold in his confession. You have a version of that in Matthew chapter 16. The situation was this. Jesus was getting close to the time of his crucifixion. He turned to the disciples that were with him and he said, Now, who do people say that I am? And they said, Well, some of them say you're Elijah. Some, of, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. You're one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, And who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who just comes with this powerful, bold confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But it's not a moment later that Peter doesn't understand the mission of Jesus. And Jesus actually calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You go on a little bit further, and Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying this passionate prayer. He's asked his disciples to pray with him. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And he goes back to check on his disciples, and Peter and the others have fallen asleep. They can't even hang in there with Jesus. Later on, the arrest scene. Peter has a sword, as a matter of fact. He's getting that sword out. He's cutting off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't understand my mission. Takes the ear, plants it back on the side of the head of this man and heals him. Jesus is arrested and Peter and the rest just flee. Almost the next scene later that night, Peter is there near the place where Jesus is being tried around the bonfire people are checking and looking at him I think you're one of his followers aren't you I recognize you I can I can tell by your accent you have that Galilean accent and Peter says no 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 I don't know anything about this man all of this after three years of being mentored by Jesus after being discipled by Jesus what a disappointment Peter was. As you and I so oftentimes are. 
God puts us in a place where he makes himself known. I don't know where that place first was for you, but you're sitting right here and you're hearing from the scriptures about who Jesus Christ is. Last week we had uh, a number of folks who became part of the river and you heard some of their testimony about that. I first learned about Jesus from my father, from my mother, from my grandmother, from my Sunday school teachers from Ross and Sandy Cooper and I saw God at work and I was in a place where I experienced that in terms of a changed heart in terms of what I see God doing with his people there's some powerful things going on but we disappoint in so many ways I don't know if this counts for a big disappointment but let me tell you what happened to me this week. I was so inspired by Scott's sermon of last week. The sermon about stewardship of creation, of caring for it, of watching out about how big our carbon footprint becomes. On Tuesday, I got my bicycle out and I rode it from my house to the office here. It's kind of nice because it's mostly downhill. <laughs> when I have to head back home that it's I had checked to make sure I didn't have to go anywhere for pastoral call or to go to a, a meeting of some sort that would take me to Redlands Community Hospital or even worse to Fontana or even worse to Ontario on my bike can you imagine that no I didn't have to do any of that I get the church pull my bike in put it in my office it's kind of hot in the room um, I look at Greg Langley, our administrator, and I said, you know what, Greg, I'm, I'm going to put on the air conditioning. And Greg looks at me and says, Will, you're so proud of the fact that you rode your bike, that your carbon footprint is so small. You know, when you put on that air conditioning, your carbon footprint gets really big, just so that you're comfortable, right? Yeah, how disappointing. Those disappointments can take other kinds of forms, other kinds of shapes. Yesterday morning, the monthly men's ministry breakfast, there were about 30 of us men and boys gathered for a wonderful breakfast, hearing a testimony and coming to grips with man's everyday battle. The struggle with pornography and a, a, a fantastic discussion just kind of broke out about that as we heard the struggles as we understood the temptations as we understood how easy it is to access it and texting can become sexting these days and then we began to talk about how to put safeguards in place and one of the men that was there said you know what I know about those safeguards if you want I can do that for nothing on your behalf we talked about how men could have conversations with their boys so that they also didn't get the, the, the stumbling block issues with pornography that we had experienced we had this kind of interesting, wonderful conversation, recognizing that again and again, we disappoint. We 
disappoint God and we disappoint each other. And the conversation could have gone on to other ways in which we disappoint God. When habits we finally thought we'd put behind us somehow come back to grab us. When the habits and the customs we think are such good ideas and we want to build them into our lives, suddenly they aren't there anymore. We can be so disappointing to God and to one another. When you begin to think about this, though, we put ourselves in God's place and we think about this as a matter of perspective. Things may look one way to us. They might look a different way to God. And this is kind of humorously put out for me when uh, just this week, there's a, a, a comedian named Ken Davis. He's been around for a long, long time. I heard him when he was a lot younger than he is now. Uh, he looks like a pretty old guy. But then I have to remember, I'm a pretty old guy these days, too. But I saw something from Ken Davis this week. It went like this, in terms of perspective. He's, he wrote this, When I die, I want to die like my grandmother who died peacefully in her sleep. Not screaming like all the passengers in her car. And I'm thinking, oh, so that's the picture. She's driving a car. She fell asleep. People were in the car. There's a terrible accident. So that's the picture. It's all a matter of perspective. And that's true also with respect to Peter. It's a matter of perspective. You can read about what Peter did just before Jesus Christ was arrested with his bold answer, his bold confession on the one end and the disappointing behavior on the other end. But look what Jesus does. And we read this in our passage, John 21. Jesus reinstates Peter. Now notice how it happens. One of the big things that we ought to see here is that Jesus initiates the process. And that's so true in terms of the scriptures. It's so true in terms of how God works in that whole salvation process. It goes all the way to the beginning, all the way to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sin. They go and hide. God's the one who steps in. God's the one who goes looking for them. God's the one who begins to make promises to them about their salvation. God initiates the process, even in my heart and in your heart and through his Holy Spirit carries it on to completion and it takes us home. God is the one who initiates the process and when you look at this whole little episode with Jesus and Peter what becomes real clear is that what Jesus is doing is sort of reflecting on those three times that Peter had denied Jesus because there's three times when Jesus kinda comes back saying what sounds to us as we look at the English, almost exactly the same thing. Asks the same question, do you love me? Now what we probably don't catch like we ought to, but we would if we were reading the Greek, is that there are, there's an interplay of two words that we both translate love, generally speaking, in English. One of those words is agape, the God-like 
fully giving, giving it all kind of love. God so loved agopically the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves that way. The other word that's used here is the word phileo. Phileo is a, a different word we often translate for love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, has that word in it, Philadelphia. And it's kind of a... Now, and what's going on here is this. Jesus is saying to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Are you willing to give everything for me? Do you love me to the fullest extent possible? And the answer that Peter gives is, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Second time, same sort of thing. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, I love you like a brother. thinking about that, how that could look like in other settings. And the one thing that I was thinking about was the day I asked Ruth to marry me. Back in 1968, dark ages, right? 68, we were students at Dort College, and I had been dating her for about a year, and it was time for me, I thought, to ask her to marry her. Marry me. I'd bought a ring. I'd been back in my hometown of Oskaloosa. I'd gone to the farm implement store, which had a jewelry counter in the corner. <laughs> bought the ring from the guy who was wearing a John Deere cap. And I had it with me back at college. And there came the night in February. And I said, Ruth, I love you. Will you marry? Now, what if she would have said, Will, I love you like a friend. Would have been a little disappointing, I think. But that's exactly what's going on here with Jesus and Peter. Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me with everything that you've got? And Peter's saying, no, I love you like a friend. That's in a sense, what I will settle for. And what's so surprising, the third time around, not only does Peter sense that Jesus is referring to those three denials when he comes back a third time, but he hears Jesus use a different word this time. Jesus is using the very word that Peter was choosing to use. Do you love me phileo kind of love, Peter? And Peter says, yes, you know everything, Lord. You know that I love you like that. And what's huge here, what's surprising, is that Jesus is willing to say to Peter at some level, that's all right. I can work with you that way. When we have that kind of commitment to each other. And you notice that a little bit later on, Jesus gives Peter a little insight into Peter's future. He says something like this to Peter. Peter, when you were young, you could dress yourself. You can go anywhere that you wanted to. When you are old, 
you will be stretching out your hands and you will be led to a place you do not want to go. And then the Bible says, Jesus was talking about the way in which Peter was going to die. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how Peter died. A church tradition tells us it went something like this. Peter was in Rome. Peter was being martyred for the faith. Peter was facing crucifixion. And as Peter stands in front of that cross, ready to be crucified, Peter says to the soldiers, uh, I don't want to be crucified like my Savior was crucified. Please, crucify me upside down. And what church tradition tells us is that he was crucified upside down. Peter was willing finally to love Jesus agopically and give him his life. And what we also hear and see is that Peter is given an assignment. Jesus is working with Peter. Jesus is saying to him, and there's just different versions here, but it, it amounts to the same thing. Jesus says, feed my lambs. The second time, take care of my sheep. The third time, feed my sheep. He was giving Peter responsibility in his kingdom over those sheep, over those lambs that were also coming into the kingdom, giving him a position of responsibility and care over those sheep. And then when you see what happens at Pentecost, there's the mighty wind, there's the flames of fire, there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and Peter is the one who gives this mighty service. That results in 3,000 being converted and baptized that day. And you begin to see how God was willing to use Peter and could use him so powerfully. The thing that you and I ought to catch is that God's grace is huge here. God acts on pure grace, not because we are so brave, not because we are so impressive, not because we are even so faithful. He acts on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and he comes after us. And we experience his love and his acceptance and his direction. And he keeps moving us back. And he keeps coming after us when we go astray, when we go this way or that way. The way God works became so vivid to me just yesterday. Yesterday, Ruth and I went shopping for a Garmin. Tom Tom Garmin, one of these little devices that you can, you know, plug in an address and it takes you in your car to where you need to go. Ruth needed to find her way to a conference this coming weekend in Orange County in Irvine somewhere. And she's a tremendously gifted lady. But finding her way to places like that is not one of her gifts. And so we said, you know, we have this old thing, but we, let's, let's find something that's up to date. Who knows what you're going to run into in terms of new highways and all that. So we went shopping. We went to Sam's Club over in San Bernardino. Got it priced out. Good price. $118 for this five-inch 
Ruth says, I need something really big. My eyes aren't what they used to be. I said, ah, five inch instead of four inch. Sam's Club didn't have it in stock. Okay, we go just down the road to Best Buy. Best Buy has it in stock. They're willing to price match. Theirs was $40 more, but they said, no, we'll give it to you for that $118. Sale was made. Ruth and I get in the car. She said, we've got to make sure this thing works. She gets it out of the package, get it all plugged in, get it revved up, plug in our home address. And we start home and we say to each other, it looks like it's sending us to the 10 freeway and back to Redlands. Let's see what it does when we go a different way. And so we turned the corner opposite of what she was telling us to turn. We went down to San Bernardino Avenue to come back to the east. And oh my, first she wanted us to do a U-turn. And then she sort of adjusted. And uh, we had to stop at Home Depot. And that kind of threw her for a loop too. And then we made our way home. And she kept adjusting. And she kept guiding us home. And we're coming up the street to our house. And we're approaching the house. And she says so nicely, you're home. And that's kind of what God does. God ends up getting us home. You and I may have all kinds of directions we take our lives. We may be so disappointing to God, but God hangs in there with us. God keeps directing us home until finally we get there. And in the meantime, the wonderful thing is that God gives us work to do. And he calls us to join him in his mission. And sometimes those disappointments, sometimes the awful behaviors that we had, or perhaps the way we were raised is used by God in miraculous, powerful ways to shape us and equip us to do his work. I want you to meet a member of our congregation who's experienced God's grace in powerful ways. I said to her this week, I said, or last week, I said, well, you don't want to do it kind of a live interview like Don and Jesse Bierman did a few weeks back? Or shall we just videotape you and let Terry just kind of edit it down? And she said, let's videotape it. Listen to a story of God's grace. I grew up knowing that there was a God. Um, he existed, but I didn't have a relationship with him. Um, but I always had some feeling that he was there. No matter what, he was there. Hi, I'm Athena James. Um, I've been at the river for, I think, almost two years. And um, my daughters are Brooklyn and Abrielle. I grew up with um, two parents who were alcoholics and drug addicts and very abusive um, family. And um, there were so many times when I would cry out to God in my childhood, um, you know, for help or for a way out or even death to 
take over me, um, just to, to die. I really just hit, I was just living the life of the world. I'm drinking a lot and no drugs, but definitely drinking a lot and just partying and bad relationship after bad relationship because I didn't know what a good relationship was. And um, I just finally hit a wall and um, I was letting myself be used and um, just had no value at all. I had no idea what God saw in me, let alone I had no positive self-worth for myself. And um, I tried myself to end things. I, I truthfully took every possible pill. I took all my roommate's pills that she had, all of my pills that I had. and. Um, as I was doing that though, I was literally in prayer while I was trying to commit suicide. I was begging God, um, please take, take my life, but I was also praying to him, telling him how sorry I was for giving up and telling him, um, I know this is, I was taught it was a sin to commit suicide. And so I was saying, I know this is a sin, um, but, but forgive me, <laughs> um, but please take my life, take me to heaven. I only want to be with you. I, I can't handle this life anymore. Um, it's too much and crying and finally I fell asleep and the next day I woke up and I was so mad that I woke up I was so angry and um, I was not clear-minded mind you um, I went to the store I drove to the store and I got another bottle of pills I was not finished I was gonna see it through and um, I was really in a fight God on this because I was then mad at him and yelling at him like why you know I said I'm done I don't want to fight my prayer to end things quickly changed to God save me. God save me, and I'm sorry, I get chills as I talk about it now. Um, save me, and I will live for you, and I will um, never do this again. I will never take this life that you are telling me it's not time. I just finally, I felt this presence all around me, and just white lie, I mean everything, and just the soft like embrace like it's not your time and I'm right here but that was the first time in my whole life that God was like we've got something to do together and you're not going anywhere I managed for a little while and then I met Brooklyn's dad um, very bad relationship very abusive relationship didn't know how I'd ever leave that relationship though because it was so abusive and I was so scared I don't know how to get out of it and um, three years of of being with this man and um, finally um, I got pregnant with Brooklyn and then I hit the ground again what am I gonna do I'm 24 and I'm pregnant with a baby I don't have any help I don't have family I don't have friends I I have no one every time it I had to be knocked down but I got even closer the next time and even closer the next time and um, I really started to understand oh this is what walking with God is like and I have to be a good example to my daughter and I can't mess up I got and if I do I have to own it I was doing good, I was walking the walk after I had Brooklyn and it was very, um, it's been a long journey, a really long journey, um, but getting closer with God and then I got, met friends and started a Bible studies, things I never did before. Everybody in my life has walked away, very easily just walked away and so I know how to push. They would not, they kept me in line, they asked me the hard questions, they'd, are you doing this? Well, that's not okay, but we still love you. We still love you no matter what. And I, I've always known I can just go back to them and they would encourage me and help me and see what God is trying to do. They always bring it back to God. But what happens, and you have to be careful, is that you get really confident that you're doing so well with God that the enemy still is there to attack. You still have to be careful. Um, that's when the enemy seems to attack me the most 
is when I'm on a high of doing really well with God. Obviously, right? He wants to take you away from... So, um, I met Abrielle's dad. Um, again, moment of weakness, terrible decisions on my part. Um, had Abrielle. That was really hard working through this last pregnancy. And um, it's been a really hard year working through raising her by myself. I have been the angriest person I have ever known. I'm so full of anger and rage and there's God's got no way in. Finally, I started doing this Breaking Free series with Beth Moore and it's talking about breaking bondage in all areas of life, things you wouldn't even think you're in bondage with and anger was a big part of that. But where I am now today through school, through everything, um, I finally, for the first time in my whole life, I have hit this this area of I don't even want even a toe in the world and a foot in the church. I want like everything wrapped around God. At the end of the day, I've always struggled with having to be a single mom and now I have two children and I'm never going to get married. I don't even care. I don't even care. I, I'm cherishing that I'm a single mom. I'm cherishing that I'm a good mommy. I have amazing children and I'm so blessed. God is just great. He's amazing. And I'm finally for the first time um, looking at being in love with him. And that's always been a really weird thing for me or looking at him like he's my dad. That's been really weird because I've had a lot of negative images of fathers, even my children's fathers. So dad is like, oh, God's not my dad. But I'm finally like okay with that. Like he's he's my dad because he sees me like a dad should, like beautiful and encouraging. Relating to this message, God has really brought me, um, just use weak, weakness, um, my times of weakness, um, later on for his, I don't know, I guess his purpose or his will. The times that I was weak and then when that was the times where God um, was most apparent in my life. Athena was in the first service, and uh, at this point, she just came onto the platform, and we prayed. She was surrounded by members of the river who had been in a special way in her life, Rich and Liz DeWitt, Chris and Heather DeWitt, and Gary and Pam Hobson, I know you have been too, and God has enabled her to find a family and God has been able to move in her weakness to come to a place where she can serve the Lord and love the Lord. I know many of you have stories that come close to the story that she tells. Others of you not. But just understand that God uses us, even in those weaknesses, God is shaping and molding us. And in terms of Athena, what she's doing right now on Sunday evenings is teaching a single parent class where other single parents are gathered and they encourage one another. That's uh, going to happen again at 6 o'clock um, this evening in the conference room of the River House one of the groups, one of the relationship groups that we have going on right now. And may this just encourage you to know that God can use any one of you.
God can move you to work in his kingdom and to move his mission along. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for opportunities to not only hear a story like Athena's, but also just to think through what our stories are and how you, Lord, can use us, sometimes having put us or sometimes enabling us to move out of relationships that are awful, and yet in many ways molding and shaping and moving us along. Lord, may we be family to one another. May we encourage each other. May we call each other out when we need to. May we move, help each other along as you give us opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.